0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now we're live on the web. Well, happy Easter! We want to start out with something just cheerful and kind of bring you up there. But uh, I actually have one question for you on this morning, which is, how many of you believe, show of hands, that there was such a ship named the Titanic that literally sunk 96 years ago? Raise your hand if you believe that's historical fact. This this massive, okay, the majority of you, this massive and nautical engineering marvel that was unsinkable 20 or 96 years ago on April 15th. 1912, it hit a piece of ice and sunk to the bottom of the North Atlantic. I mean, do you really believe that? Show of hands again. Again, people who think this actually happened in history. Not everybody here. So there's some people who haven't seen the movie, obviously. Uh, but here's my question. Why do you believe that? Uh, how can you prove that? Like if somebody never, never didn't know anything about American history and, and was like, it's a really, I mean, a massive ship of that size hit something you find in your freezer and it sunk how do you prove such a thing i mean did, did, did you see it happen uh is do you know somebody who saw it happen did you see it on youtube cuz that would mean it definitely happened right or maybe i mean did you ever hold a piece of the titanic in your hand you have an artifact something from the bottom of the ocean probably not and yet these this claims that it sunk total loss to the bottom of the north atlantic on april 15th 1912 because of a block of ice i don't know but if you ask me it sounds like a kind of a stretch You know, if you're going to tell me that something of that historical magnitude, an improbable event actually happened, you better have some pretty good reasons to believe, some hard evidence. That's that's actually the name of the series that we're beginning today, Reasons to Believe on Easter, because really it's why we're here. Today we celebrate a historical event at the center of the Bible that quite honestly is unlikely and completely history changing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whether or not that actually happened, that we have credible reasons to believe something unprecedented. I mean, never before in human history. A dead man raised to life. There better be some credible reasons to put your faith in this book. In the events that it reports to be true. I mean, out of all the events um, the Bible records, and you'll take out your Bible, you can notice what is the title that we have on the cover here. It says, The Story of... God, perhaps none is more eyebrow-raising or skepticism-producing than the claim that some God-man named Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then was raised to life three days later. I mean, what if I told you, did you hear? The Titanic was was, was raised from the ocean floor and was magically reassembled, and now it's back in port in Newark. Uh, and I'm selling tickets afterwards. Uh, you know, what, you, you'd want some evidence. You'd be like, oh, come on. And you know what? You'd be right. You'd be right to demand the same amount of critical proof proof from the Bible, if not more, because it claims more. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Take that, that Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I want to just briefly examine today the historical account of the resurrection and really ask that same question. Well, why believe this? Why put your trust in something that's unprecedented and improbable in human history? Let's read this account together. Luke 24, we'll start with verse, uh, verse 1 there. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared, and they went to the tomb of Jesus. Now they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So we have this little CSI moment really here, okay? While they were wondering about all this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now check this out, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like what? Nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. People who hear about the resurrection of Jesus for the first time typically respond in one of the two ways that Luke describes right here in his eyewitness account. At first, they may think it's nonsense. Um, one of my friends is a scientist at Merck. If you're in New Jersey, chances are you, you, you may have some sort of a relation to the pharmaceutical companies here. I like to tell people new to our church, we've got a lot of drug dealers in the congregation. Merck, you know, Adventist, you know, YFA all of that, Novartis. And, uh, and she said, she said, actually, a lot of my colleagues are agnostic uh, or atheist. They actually have a bias, a default bias against the supernatural. So when they hear about something like this, I mean, resurrection, it's, they say, Nonsense. If it can't be proved by science, if you can't empirically prove this, uh, repeat this in a lab under controlled conditions, it can't be trusted. Science tells us something is true. This is nonsense. Or like Peter, there are people who are willing to examine the facts, but still, they may be kind of puzzled about what happened. Like, well, what, what what is this whole thing about? What, what does it mean? What I'd like us to do is actually follow Peter's example and examine the evidence as Peter did here. Are there really credible reasons to believe this story? Because if it's true, if a man named Jesus claiming to be God was actually raised from the dead, well, I don't know about you, but, but, but that changed some things for me. <laughs> See, a, a lot of people think that to believe in the Bible, you have to like <coughs> check your brain at the door. Kind of put it over here. Well, now I'm in church you know, just kind of check my brain. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, for the, the truth is this. For an event to be credible in a historical factual sense, it has to be based on fact. Facts are not the enemy of faith. And any faith worth believing should have credible reasons to believe. Faith is more than a feeling. For instance, um, believing that there really was a ship named the Titanic that sunk on April 15, 1912. 96 years ago, by the way, this spring. That's actually not that much of a stretch, is it? I mean, there's lots of evidence for it. I mean, how do we... If someone said, how do you know the Titanic actually went down in history? You would point them to the evidence. You would examine, for instance, there are historic documents that detail that. This is the front page of the New York Times, actually, from the 1912, uh, April 15th. And you'll see there it says, Titanic sinks four hours. Here's some details. After hitting the iceberg, it only took four hours for that ship to go down. 866 people were rescued by the neighboring vessel, the Car- Carpathia. So in other words, there were eyewitness accounts. 866 people went in the water. They know it actually happened. The Carpathia witnessed. They saw the whole thing happening and about 1,250 perished. Now you also have archaeology. This is the Russian submersible Mir-1 in 1985 was sent down into the icy waters of the North Atlantic and captured this picture of Titanic's bow. Just incredible. This footage is is from a depth of about 12,500 feet. This is 13 nautical miles from where it went down, ghostly, chilling. So the question is, well, how do we know that the Titanic actually sank? We examine the evidence. Archaeology, if it remains, eyewitness accounts, and we judge the reliability of the historical documents that report what happened. And based on that, your mind, your critical faculties have to make a decision. This event actually really happened in history, or it's a legend. It's a myth. People believe the Titanic in 2008, but what about in 3008? You think, you think people, because there will be no archaeological evidence, that boat will be gone. They actually say in about 50 years, they think the entire thing will sink into the ocean floor because of all the people taking uh, uh, scavengers, you know, kind of taking artifacts and tourists and everything. The interesting thing is, The story of God begins with an assertion that this is true. And quite honestly, you have to ask is it credible? Does this meet the criteria of historical fact? I mean, the Gospels, these Gospels are what you have in your hand, 2,000 years old. These are in the realm of ancient history. And those of you with an interest in history or law or literature, you know there's a base, basic test that you ask of any piece of historical writing to determine whether this thing's reliable or not. And the first is you ask, well, how many manuscripts have survived since the original autograph or the, the, the original handwritten record? Obviously, this is not the original. If so, we sell it on eBay and, and, you know, sell the world around. Um, but this is a copy of a copy of a copy, tr- obviously. Now, how reliable are the copies we have today? Is there a big time gap between the original and the copies? And that's how you determine any source, whether it's sacred or whether it's a secular source, that says this is historical record. Let me show you how this works. How many of you have heard of Aristotle? Aristotle, pretend you've heard that in philosophy class. Okay. He wrote his poetics about 343 BC. There are only five manuscripts that exist today. The earliest copy we have is dated around 1100 A.D. That is a gap of almost 1,400 years from when Aristotle wrote Poetics in in, in 343 B.C. And and, and yet, this is accepted as history. Five manuscripts exist today. Caesar, he composed his history of the Gaelic Wars between 58 and 50 B.C. And its manuscript, Authority, rests on nine to ten copies we have today of that. It actually dates to about a thousand years after his death. But these two texts... They have almost near universal acceptance as accurate historical record. How many of you have heard of a book called The Iliad? Maybe you read it in high school. Does anyone remember who the author is of of, of The Iliad? Anyone remember? Homer, yeah. Oh, we have some Simpsons fans here. That's great. Um, The Iliad. The Iliad is number two in the world most widely accepted authoritative manuscript in all of history. Why? Well, this one is overwhelming. This is 9 to 10 copies. This, the Iliad, has almost 643 copies with only a 400-year gap from the original. Not bad. Okay, track with me. Everyone take a deep breath. It's Easter. I don't want you to sprain your brain here, okay? Because some of you are like, what's with all the math? Talk about eggs. Um, Watch. This New Testament, which you hold in your hands... Do you want to guess how many copies of the original manuscript are in existence as of today? Iliad, 643. Not 600, not 6,000, not 10,000, not 20,000. But this book has 24,970 copies of the original gospel manuscripts. It is unprecedented in all of ancient literature. There are literally no records of historical antiquity that even come close to what we have in the New Testament. Dr. Craig Blomberg, he is a senior research fellow at Cambridge University, and he says that the texts of the New Testament have been preserved in far greater number and with much more care than have any other ancient documents. 97 to 99% of the New Testament can be reconstructed beyond any reasonable doubt. See, fact, folks, facts are not the enemy of faith. They really aren't. If you are a scientist, if you are an academic, if you're a skeptic, you're a doubter, good for you. Good for you. God made you with critical reasoning faculties, and he actually invites you to use them. In other words, following Jesus doesn't mean you check your brain at the door. Rather, like Peter, check it out for yourself. Don't take another word for it. You check it out. In fact, maybe you want to do that actually this spring. That's that's why we have these life groups that happen during the week. They're study groups. They actually go deeper into the material that we talk about here on Sunday. And through this whole series, Reasons to Believe, we started 15 new groups all over New Jersey, six to eight people, and we're providing study guides. So you can actually explore it for yourself. Don't take it from some guy up here with big hair yapping about how great this book is. Uh Uh-uh. You examine the evidence. It is a great way, honestly, to to increase your knowledge, whether you believe or not, you're not there. But we're going to do that over this entire series. You can sign up at liquidchurch.com. Look at the, the, the groups we have. But you have to take a critical look at the evidence. Are there valid reasons to believe this is a credible account? And some are obvious. Some of them will be objective historical record. You weigh the evidence. But some clues are more subtle. Look back at verses 9 and 11 there. It says, When they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary. Now, what do they all have in common? They are what? Women. They told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like what? Nonsense. If you want to talk, a lot of people say, well, of course you're going to, you know, the Bible, the guys who wrote this were followers of Jesus. They wanted to put a little religious spin. You know, Jesus was crucified, but God doesn't raise to life. And so they want to invent this story. Here's the deal. Internal evidence for the reliability of scriptures. Every student of first century culture understands. You would never, if you were making something up, if you were inventing it, the last detail you would include is that the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection were women. Why? In the first century Middle East, women were so marginalized, so low on the totem pole, their testimonies weren't even admissible in a court of law. It's incredible. In other words, anyone who was inventing or conjuring the, the, these accounts as like religious propaganda, let's try to spin this thing so it kind of looks good, would, would never include such a fact. It totally undermines its counterproductive. In other words, a first century audience would read that and they would laugh because their cultural bias, they'd like, oh, women saw Jesus, right? Oh, okay, Great. You'd never record that detail unless it were true. Historians call that kind of evidence internal reliability of the document. If these records were made up or fabricated by the disciples to make Jesus look good, they'd never include counterproductive information. And there are unflattering details all over these accounts. I mean, think about the guys who wrote it, and they actually, they actually record how the men, when Jesus was arrested, <clears throat> they just like scattered. <laughs> they, cut, they, t- they turned tail. And the women stuck with him. (laughs) They record how a revered rabbi was publicly executed and stripped on a Roman execution device, a cross, which was a huge source of shame. And these women stuck around and attended his tomb. This all would have been dismissed as nonsense, which it was at first. See, this book would have wound up in the fiction section of the Jerusalem Barnes and Noble And stayed there unless others, non-believers, encountered the risen Christ for themselves. This is where it gets very interesting. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 for the Apostle Paul's recording of what happened. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter... And then to the 12. And again, this is where you're like, yeah, of course. He appears to the choir. Everyone wants him to be alive. What? After that, Paul writes, he appeared to more than how many? 500. At the same time, he writes, most of whom are still living. Circle that phrase. Most of whom are still living. Paul says, Jesus appeared in the flesh to 500 eyewitnesses at once. And catch this, Paul says, most of them are still alive right now as I write this document. Seal this letter and give it to be read in public. And this is where it is critical. The dating of these documents is crucially important. Every historian, whether conservative or liberal scholars, they agree the letters of Paul were written between 15 and 20 years after the death of Jesus. And that's crucial. Because it meant that there were hostile eyewitnesses alive who could refute these testimony were they untrue. Paul is basically like, um, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You saw it. Go ask them. And he appealed to 500 people. He's like, I don't even have to convince you. Go talk to 500 people. And historians call that the credibility of hostile witnesses. In other words, because these Gospels were written in the first century, they were circulated actually while opponents, people who didn't want to say that Jesus was living, they could confirm or contradict whether he was alive or not. They could say, well, he, his body is still in the tomb. Go look at it. It's right here. Or no, no, that was that whole thing. They ripped it off and they couldn't. Paul's like, you have to talk to them because they saw too. They can't deny it. But just like today, Scripture candidly records, there were many people who still had their doubts. I mean, even among Christ's followers, good people, who said, I want, I want concrete reasons to believe. They said, eyewitness testimony is one thing, but unless I see it for myself, I will not believe it. That's literally what the disciple Thomas said. Thomas was the first agnostic. <laughs> he was a scientist. He wanted hard evidence. And the best part is, is Jesus' response. Notice, Jesus never rebuked or belittled him. But he actually honored that request for physical evidence. And he invited him. He said, here, go put your fingers here. And the nail marks. Go ahead. Put it into my side. Check me out for yourself. Examine the hard evidence. And see, folks, this is... Because these eyewitness accounts were so diverse... And so widely confirmed by a swath of people, the resurrection of Christ became the central theme of Christianity and a wildfire in the first century and spread literally like wildfire. People's lives were changed. That's a historical fact. The disciples were transformed. I mean, from a a ragtag bunch of of cowardly guys kind of huddling in the upper room to this bold and courageous band of men who were like, Okay, guys, Jesus is God. God raised Jesus from the dead. And their testimonies were trusted by first century people for one reason. They were willing to die for it. The French philosopher um, Pascal said, I believe the witnesses who get their throats cut. In other words... Would you die for a lie? If you look at the list of the 12 disciples, 11 of them died martyrs' deaths. One never graduated. But the other 11, Peter, who betrayed Jesus three times, went straight into Jerusalem, boldly proclaiming, Jesus is alive, he is the God, knowing he could be crucified too, which he was, upside down at his request. Because he didn't consider himself worthy of dying in the same manner as a savior. Andrew was crucified. Jimmy was killed by the sword. Phil was crucified. Bart was crucified. Matt, killed by the sword. James, son of Alphaeus, crucified. Thad, killed by arrows. Simon the Zealot, crucified. 11 out of 11. These men historically died martyrs' death because they staked their life on two truths. That Jesus was who he said he was, God in the flesh. And that God raised him from the dead. Would you be willing to die for a lie? I mean, you could be a good hearted religious person, but if you knew something at your heart was a hoax or just kind of a religious spin or propaganda, would you die for it? Do you think Peter, the same Peter who cut bait and ran on the living Jesus, would be willing to die for a dead one? Just to simply keep this hoax or legend going? Peter writes in his second epistle, he says, We did not follow, what's the phrase? cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw it with our own eyes. He changed my life. And I'm willing to die for this. These men, they were willing to be martyred for for one reason. They'd seen Jesus raised to life after death and they believed it would happen to them to. And folks, this is where fact must combine with faith to lead to real truth. Capital T. You can take all of the historical facts you want, credible documents, eyewitness accounts, change lives. Facts provide a critical foundation for any faith. But if this historical reality is true, that that God raised Jesus from the dead, it, ch- it changes everything, personally. Because it means that people who put their trust, their mind and their heart, no longer have to be afraid or fear anything in this life, in, in this story we find ourselves in. Not Roman swords, no fear. Not cancer, no fear. Not dying alone, no fear. Nothing, no fear. Because a Savior has come. The ship may be going down, but God's story says God entered human history and entered the water with us. And he's made a promise. I pledge my life to yours. No matter what happens, whatever comes, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is not just the mind. That is the heart behind God the history. Fifteen hundred people went into the sea when Titanic sank from under us. There were twenty boats floating nearby and only one came back. One It's getting quiet It's just gonna take him A couple of minutes to get The boats organized You must You must You must do me this honor You must promise me that you'll survive. That you won't give up, no matter what happens. No matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose, and never let go of that promise. I promise. Are facts and there is faith. What kind of story is God telling? In the case of the real life Titanic, there is one eyewitness survivor still living today. One. This is her picture. This is Milvina Dean. She is 96 years old. In 1912, she was the youngest passenger on board the Titanic. She was actually a baby in her cradle at the time. When they hit the iceberg, her father, put her and her mom into a lifeboat. He drowned. But she was rescued. And that's an incredible story. To be rescued. I mean, to to have someone trade their life in for yours. That's, That's what turns a historical tragedy into a triumph. See, folks, at the heart of God's story, our story, is a central theme, and it flows out of the resurrection of Jesus. The the, the theme of the story God's telling is the rescue and restoration of your heart. See, the Bible is not just factual. Facts can only take you so far. God's story is a romance. It is inspired by love. It is it is the love story of a Savior God giving His life for us and promising to never let go when we take His hand and put our trust in Jesus, His resurrected Son. I will not let go. Because what happened to Jesus, if we believe with our hearts as well as with our minds, it will one day happen to us. I mean, think about the movie version of Titanic. Why in the world did that movie win 11 Academy Awards? I mean, this, it was a historical event that, as a tragedy, I mean, that movie should have been depressing. I remember I was just like, oh, for heaven's sake, an hour in, sink the boat, let's go. You know, you think it should be depressing, but it's not. Why? It captivated people worldwide. It became the highest grossing film of all time. Why? Because framing the facts of that historical tragedy was a love story of a savior giving his life for one person. Jack dies. Am I giving that away? Does everyone know? That? Jack dies. He, he remains freezing in the North Atlantic, willing to die of hypothermia. Why? So he could save one person, his beloved, Rose, so that she could live. And she is saved, rescued. Love conquers death. That's the theme. That's the truest reality of the resurrection at a spiritual level. Look, we all know terrible things happen in this world. I mean, terrible. Uh, A friend of mine uh, lost his younger sister this spring, completely unexpectedly, out of nowhere. He he says, I feel like I'm just walking in shock through life. My dad uh, has cancer. He he was diagnosed uh, with lymphoma, and now it's recurring again. Friends of ours just found out their, their son is autistic. Their, their, their baby son. I mean, talk about getting thrown into deep water. Right? Loss happens. Disease cripples. Tragedy strikes out of nowhere. Death comes for all. But the story of God, the new reality of Christ's resurrection is that rescue has come. See, the story doesn't just ask us to believe that. It. it invites us to enter it. It invites us first to be saved from our sins for all the ways we have actually disbelieved God and contributed to the breakdown of things. Jesus alone has the power To forgive because he died in our place. He went into the water with us. And if we take his hand in faith, he promises to reunite us to God. Now and in the life to come. Eternal life. Forever. This is what the apostles literally believed. This is what they said. If you confess with your mouth. In other words, your mouth says what you believe intellectually. That Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is God. And then if you believe in your what? Your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what? Saved. Rescued. That is an incredible reality to live out of when you're facing your own mortality. The central theme of God's story is rescue of your heart. But it's more than that. See, your rescue is a one-time event. It's it's life-altering, but it's actually the place where your role in the rest of the story begins. I don't know how you hear that idea of being saved. A lot of people think that being saved is simply this get out of hell free card. (laughs) Uh, Now I get pie in the sky, by and by, forever. It's more than that. When you place your faith in the facts of who Jesus is and what he has come to do, it changes the trajectory of the rest of your life forever because the world around you, like the disciples, you're given a role now to play in the second theme of God's story, which is the restoration of the entire world. I don't want to, again, give anything away. In the last book of this story, Revelation, we're going to see this in the weeks to come. Jesus makes his intentions clear. When he returns, he says, behold, I am making all things new. In other words, I haven't come just to save you. A lot of people think Christ is a lifeguard. And in fact, he will save you if you trust him. But he won't just save you for heaven. But for the rest of your life here on earth, the purpose and meaning of it will be dramatically altered. Because everything in the world around you that you've seen go go down in tragedy, or that you have endured with suffering, or you've wept for the injustice of this, Now, you are not invited by God to despair or just avoid, but to help God restore all things, to break the resurrection in, because Christ is coming back. I was talking with a friend. She's a teacher in an inner city. And she just shakes her head. She just goes, Tim, you know, she goes, I get get like 36 minutes with these kids every day. Like, that's going to do anything? Like, that's going to turn this around when, when the cultural and socioeconomic forces that just are crushing them, I see there's no hope. They're seven years old. There's no hope in their eyes. The resurrection reality that everything counts and now you're partnering with Jesus. He is living through you to restore all things, gripped the heart of the first century church. They didn't just believe with their minds. They lived out of their hearts. Their purpose for living became the restoration of the broken world around them. They believed that what had gone down in tragedy would one day be raised up in triumph and it changed their lives forever but now you know there was a man named jack dawson and that he saved me in every way that a person can be saved i don't even have a picture of him It exists now, only in my memory. He saved me in every way a person can be saved. What's at the heart of this story? The the story of God. Our story with God. Facts are important. Facts change our minds. We believe with our mind. Fact. The Titanic man's finest nautical achievement in the 20th century sank like a stone. Fact. Faith changes our hearts. We come to believe that one day, despite all of the material evidence we see, everything will be restored in the shipwrecked world around us. It starts with Jesus, who was raised It will continue with us, and it will continue through everything. In that final scene of that movie, Titanic, down in the depths of that ocean, a light breaks through. It runs through that doomed ship. John Eldridge describes in his book, Epic, he says, it cleanses, it restores the grandeur and the beauty of that place before eyes. The rubble is swept away. It's powerful, doesn't it? The deck glistens as it was on the day that it was made. In the twinkling of an eye, the ship is restored. Everything. And all of a sudden, the ballroom doors swing open, and all the familiar faces of all the people who perish are gathered together again, and, and, and the hero and his beloved are reunited. A celebration is underway. That happy ending, folks, <laughs> that's, that, he, they crib that. <laughs> that's stolen out of God's larger story. It's borrowed right out of Scripture. The restoration of Everything. Bride, bridegroom united in hope beyond hope, everything's restored to what God originally intended. That's what's promised as the destiny of those who put their confidence in Jesus Christ. Behold, Jesus says, He returns, I will wipe every tear from their eye. All suffering is gone because the old has passed and the what? The new has come. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Examine the evidence. Look at the historical life of Jesus. Notice what he did. When Jesus touched the blind, they could see. All of a sudden, the beauty of the world come flooding before them. When he touched the deaf, they heard for the first time laughter, music, children's voices. He touched the lame, and they could stand up and dance. He called the dead back to life and gave them their families. Do you see? Wherever humanity was broken, Jesus restored it to the way God originally intended it to be. You, in your heart, your heart grips. It delights at that. Why? Look, I don't know what tragedy has beset you this year. I don't. What, what, what pain or, or, or loss has unexpectedly touched down in your life. But, but there's hope. There, there's more than just historical belief. Being rescued by Christ means you've been given a new role and purpose in life, a role to play, help restore the world around you, just as Jesus did with his ministry during the earth. Bringing renewal to broken lives by the power of God. Actually announcing to the lonely, you are not forgotten. We, we become their company. Coming along the sick or the, the disabled or dying, because they're not just, just material. It, they matter. This is not the end for them by any means. The down and out, the poor, the forgotten. Actually, we elevate them. We seek to restore them because there's hope on the way. The, the last the last will be first. That's That's a promise. That's a twist at the end of the story as we're going to see. Folks, this is why. There's no other reason. There's no other factual reason for Christianity to spread like wildfire. From some obscure backwater region in, in ancient Israel, across centuries, across continents, over oceans, and eventually to the ends of the earth, landing in New Jersey, of all places. Why? Because, lean in. Because the first Christians lived like they were dying. Like the restoration had already begun, it's underway. The fact of Jesus' resurrection ignited their faith. They gave their money to the poor. They, they touched the lepers, people no one would touch for. That's, that's the heartbeat of Jesus' church, to follow the leader and begin restoring what's gone down in tragedy because Jesus is alive. He's here. He's in me. He's working through me. And he's returning to make all things new. I, I think of my friend Scott Harrison. This is a picture of Scott. He is a photojournalist in New York City. Uh, we're having lunch next week in, uh, in Soho. And Scott's got an amazing story. Um, he's I was only in his early 30s, but in his 20s, he led quite a life. Um, he was a nightclub promoter in Manhattan. Uh, mover and a shaker, as he will tell you, more money than he dreamed <laughs> and all the excess that came with it. And as he will tell you, he was kind li- of you know, living large, but his life lacked a little thing called purpose, <laughs> actual meaning beyond just you know getting higher, whatever the next thing is. And then in, 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 um, in one of those life-or-death moments, Related to the club party scene, you should ask him sometime what happened. He met Jesus. Not, not, not physically face-to-face. He encountered the risen Christ of this story. And he was literally rescued from his old life. He actually got on a ship in Ocean Liner that summer after meeting Jesus. And um, it was a ship that was converted into a hospital ship. Have you ever heard of something called Mercy Ships? There are these giant ships that are retrofitted to become floating hospitals that followers of Christ circle the globe in providing free medical care to the world's poorest and most forgotten. The boy in the photo you see next to Scott, his name is Alfred. And as you can see, when Scott met him, Alfred needed some help. That is a grapefruit-sized tumor growing in his mouth, one you, you or I might have, but it would be removed when we're young. But in the Horn of Africa, things like that don't happen, and so Alfred never spoke. He was mute. And followers of Jesus Christ took an ocean liner and retrofitted it as a hospital and with surgeons went in because they said Jesus restored sight to the blind and the mute could speak. And after 19 hours of surgery, you see Alfred. They returned him to his parents and he could speak. From nightclub promoter to restoring the speech of a mute boy. In the name of Jesus Christ. Scott went on his own dime, and and that's actually what Scott does now with his life. Because he met Jesus. He he was personally rescued, and now he actually partners with Christ in the restoration of all things to serve children like Alfred, who the world has forgotten. In the name of Jesus Christ. Whenever I see that picture, it, it makes me think about how For two millennia now, people have read this book, this Bible, and read about a Jesus who would embrace and touch and love broken people, blind, crippled disease, it didn't matter. He loved them, he cared for them, and then he restored them. And people reading these historical accounts believed first the facts, and then they moved to the belief of the heart and said... I want to know that man. I want to follow that man. And if possible, I want to become like that man. I want to become part of that story. I'd like to live the kind of life that he lived. That's, that's what happened to my friend Scott. He met the risen Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And something happened to him. His self-centered life was turned literally upside down and he discovered that there was actually real truth in Jesus' words. That anyone who's interested in finding real life first must be willing to what? Lose theirs. It has happened to millions of people in hundreds of cultures for thousands of years and it can happen to you. <laughs> he saved me in every way a person can be Saved, hope, purpose, meaning—it's all here. Fact and faith give us reasons to believe. To believe with your mind and trust with your heart, and let it change your life forever. I, I wonder, as we kick off this series, where where are you when it comes comes to believing? You know, I, I don't know what, what brought you here today. Maybe it's tradition like, well, you got to go to church on Easter, man. Or, you know, your girlfriend dragged you here or uh, you feel guilty. What would my mom say? You know, I'll give it a shot. I'm going to invite you to just take a moment and reflect about where you are at. At the beginning of the service, Pastor Tom said, would you write, you, would you write your name on a connection card? Can you take that out a second? If you haven't, just, just, just try, jot your name on it. We're just asking you to put your name. And next to your name, I'm going to ask you to write a single capital letter. It could be A, B, C, or D. Each stands for something different. Because my guess is we have people all across the spectrum today, here in this room, listening, watching online. And at the start of this series, we wanted to give each of you a chance to respond, to reflect on where you're at when it comes to belief in God's story. So if you are already a believer, would you write the letter A next to your name and circle? You're already a believer. In other words, you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You're already in the restoration process. <laughs> Today's been a great affirmation of that. Just mark that down, even if you've been coming, you know, for years. But maybe today you're going to mark down, B, I am believing today for the first time. Maybe today you want to trust Christ for the first time. You've, you've heard the facts. You want to be rescued and put your faith in Jesus as your risen Savior, you, you want to trust Him to, to forgive your sins, to save you, and to give you new life. I mean, what better what better day to do that than on Easter? This morning, nine people passed over from death to life. New life. Raised to life. Real life with God forever. It's amazing. How... how how do you do that? Do you remember the, the verse we looked at, the apostles? If you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus, I believe you're God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You just close your eyes even now, because there's some people who want to pray right now, even this moment. This is your moment. This is your moment to step in a new life. And, and you literally, just pray. Just be honest to God. You can pray these words. You just follow along. You just pray these to God yourself, so in, your, in your own heart. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are God. And I want you to save me. Come into my heart, Jesus. Rescue me. Save me from my sins. And please, Lord, I want a place in your story. I ask you to restore me, Lord. And I ask you to use me. Father, I want to pray right now for every man or woman or child, someone online who's listening, who's, who's praying that prayer, Lord. Confirm that with your Holy Spirit right now in the depths of their heart. Flood it, Lord, with light in the truth of your word. We ask that in the name of Jesus, amen. Maybe, maybe today is your day. Maybe it's resurrection day. You're believing for the, for the first time. If, if you are awesome welcome this is where your story begins and i just want to acknowledge and and totally fine maybe you're not there yet maybe you're you're a c you're considering the claims of christ you're like "Whoa, moving too fast dude okay i'm just new to this jesus thing you're still weighing the evidence good for you you still have questions good for you would you write C next to your name? Okay, oh, we're when, better yet, would you write on the back of this card what questions you have? What obstacles are there to, 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 to faith in God? Because there are a lot of them. I mean, maybe you're just like, dude, just read the headlines. Tsunamis, terrorism. If this God loves the world so much, why all the suffering? Great question. Look at the evidence for this. Why? Would you write those questions? And better yet, you may want to sign up for our class, Starting Point 101. This is our premier class. Pastor Tom will tell you about it. It is a safe and conversational group between six and ten people, where they just dialogue. They bring their questions to a table. They explore Christianity for themselves. So if you're believing for the first time, or you even have questions, you're not even a Christian yet, but you don't want your arm twisted, you don't want to get knuckled on We're not trying to convert you here, okay? If you want to step into that conversation, starting point 101, you have come at a great time. It's going to be meeting in the liquid offices, actually, in Morristown here, across the street, um, Thursday nights actually starts the first week of April So you can sign up for that online But you took a huge step coming today And I, I hope you're going to return next week to learn more Because God is closer than you think Faith is not a leap in the dark There are reasons to believe And maybe you're D Maybe you say, you know what, I don't think I ever will <laughs> uh, Many of you, Maybe you think you know, Christianity is still a myth or a fantasy It's a crutch for naive people You probably think Titanic Well, it's just a movie, what's a big deal You know what, you are still welcome here Good. Thank you for spending today with us I I understand you have objections and totally respect your opinions. Just remember something. Walk away today with one thing. Christianity, to believe, doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door. It invites you. Check it out for yourself. If hope, purpose, and meaning have been elusive in your life, there may be more to life than you think. Scripture tells us there's a role for you to play in this story. But first, you have to have a reason to believe. A-, a, B, C, or D, tell us where you are today. If you're watching online, email in, let us know, uh, tim at liquidchurch.com. And this week, we're going to pray for you by name, and we are going to ask God to meet you right where you are. Sound good? Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you. We celebrate, God. We celebrate every person who is here, because we know they're listening online. You are, they are on a spiritual journey, God. There's no pressure here. You are drawing people to yourself. You are moving them, Lord, from disbelief to belief. You are using fact and history, incredible evidence. You are using the, the intuition, Lord, and, and, and the belief of the heart, the knowledge of the heart, God. I pray right now, you're just going to stir people, God, to an even stronger belief. And even if we believe, Lord, to a stronger commitment to help restore this glorious, broken world that you so love. Thank you for giving your life for ours. We love you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said together... Amen.